Good morning. This is the fourth week of our series in the valley. And each week, we've been looking at some of the hard places that many of us have found ourselves over the last year. And we've been exploring what the Bible has to say about dwelling in those places or those valleys. And what we've discovered so far is that God has chosen belonging with us. He's chosen solidarity with us, even in hardship. Although being God, he's entirely capable of avoiding suffering, his love for us has drawn him to us, into the valleys, with us. Not only so we can have divine company there, but so we can learn from him what it is to wait and even to grow in these seasons ourselves. This week, we're looking at the topic of anger, and I want to say that this has been one of the hardest messages that I've ever been tasked with delivering here at Revolution, as opposed to our previous topics uh, in the last three weeks of depression and giving up and grief, things that I've been able to reflect on my own experiences in my life to talk about. Anger is hard for me to talk about because it's something that I run from. It's something that I even suppress in myself. I hate it. I hate anger. I hate it in others. I hate it in me. So it's been hard this week to meditate on what God has to say about it, especially, especially when part of what he has to say is that anger in and of itself is a natural response to the world that we live in. Now, along the way this week, I've learned some interesting things that are worth sharing. I learned that the Hebrew phrase that we often translate as slow to anger in scripture, which is erech apayim, actually doesn't mean slow to anger. What it means is long of nose. It means long of nose. The idea here is that when we're angry, our faces flush and our nose actually burns or tingles. And so in Hebrew semantics, anger ends up being expressed by this phrase, hot nose. So when human beings get angry in the Bible, like the Pharaoh does in the Exodus story, the literal translation of their anger Uh, is that their nose is burning, that their nose burned. And conversely, when we read verses like Proverbs 11.19, which counsels against giving in to our anger, that verse literally translates as, quote, a person's long nose yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense, end quote. Now, the idea then is that we want our noses to take a long time to get hot if we can make that happen, and and if we can, if we can manage that, the Bible says that we're likely to act with more wisdom. Relatedly, one of the most pervasive descriptions of God's character in Scripture is that God is long of nose, that God is slow to anger. And accordingly, this is a sign that God is wise. Now, as I thought about this kind of curious thing this week, I I've discovered that I like one thing about it, and I really dislike another thing. As somebody who patently avoids anger myself, I really like that the Bible appears to be with me on avoiding giving in to anger. I want to have a long nose. I want to be slow to anger because anger feels dangerous to me. And all of this synchronizes with countless verses in the Bible which tell us to 
quote, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's Ephesians 4.26. Or that, quote, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1.20. Or, quote, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans 12.19. When I read these verses, I get it. I get it. Don't give in to anger. And I am completely on board with that message. But there's a second part. There's a second part of all this that I am much less comfortable with. And that's the physicality of it all. I don't like that the Bible ties anger to this feeling of a hot nose because, frankly, that doesn't sound like something that I can have a ton of control over. In fact, it seems physiological. It even seems instinctual. When we talk about anger as having a hot nose, it sounds like something that our body does, whether we want it to do that or not. And that, when I think about it, makes me uncomfortable. I tend to think of anger as a choice. I think of anger as a choice, but the Bible doesn't appear to see it that way. So what do we do about the anger that does need to happen, whether we want it to or not? What do we do about God's anger, for that matter, which we also see in countless verses in the Bible kindled and expressed against his own creation? Is anger something we can write off as being altogether bad? And if not, how in the world can we ever be trusted to deal with something, to have a long nose towards something that's so dangerous? And this is the question that's given me the most fits this week, but it also gets us, I think, to where I want to go. What I want us to discover together is that anger isn't the problem. Anger isn't the problem. Arrogance is. Anger, as any good therapist will point out, is a natural response to feeling threatened, either in the sense that we ourselves are put in danger or are being mistreated, or in the sense that we are witnessing injustice towards others, which flies in the face of the way we believe the world is supposed to work. When we see others being mistreated, we're right to be angry about that. Bullying, harassment, abuse, prejudice, these things don't align with the way that we sense things ought to be. And so we react with hostility towards this brokenness, towards this disharmony within creation. Now, surely letting that initial sense of anger and injustice steer us towards advocacy, steer us towards intervention, that can't be bad, right? But how long should we be angry? Should we stay angry? Is it just something we pass through quickly on our way to doing something good? What good can anger really do? Now, to think more deeply about these questions. I think it can be helpful to look back to the first appearance of anger in the Bible. The first time we see a hot nose in Scripture actually comes in Genesis 4. It's the story of Cain's murder of his brother Abel, the first murder recorded in the Bible. The story is pretty dense, but I'm going to read all of it here uh, before we talk about it. But if you have a Bible around, you can pull this up. It's Genesis 4 verses 1 through 15. Here we go. 
Now Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Okay, so there are a few contextual things to set the stage here. First, we see here that Cain and Abel have different jobs. And we should pause and we should consider these jobs in an ancient context as best we can. So, Let's start with being a farmer, right? This is Cain's job. Now, a farmer does his job by controlling a large area of land, by managing that land meticulous, meticulously, by storing up crops as wealth for the times when they're not growing. And I think all of this, particularly in the context of the ancient Near East, makes Cain not just the oldest brother, but also the most kind of respectable brother. He's doing work. Conversely, Abel, we hear here, is a shepherd. He's a sojourner is part of what that means. It means that he's living closely with animals, which to the Israelites telling the story makes him unclean. He's also the second child and and hardworking perhaps, but without a doubt, he's less lordly than his brother. And yet, when both brothers present offerings to the Lord, Abel's is the one that's favored over Cain's. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, the text says it's favored because his offering is more precious. 
his offering comes from, quote, the first of his flocks. Now, Cain, conversely, gives an entirely acceptable offering, especially to those people telling the story to the Israelites. They would accept a grain offering or a harvest offering as as something absolutely within the bounds of the law, but he doesn't give a precious offering. God then, looking at these two offerings, shows Abel favor. And that, that's the moment when the anger comes, right? The Bible says, so Cain was angry and his face fell. And then when God asks him about it, why are you angry? Cain refuses to answer. And instead of answering God, he goes and he speaks to Abel and then he kills Abel. But why? Why does he kill his brother? Is it because he was angry? Is he angry at Abel? Or as God says here, did his anger make him vulnerable to the sin that was crouching at his door? There are two things at work here which might help us better understand what we can do in our anger. And I want to focus on those. Two things we can do in our anger that will both One, resist what is dangerous in that anger. And two, honor what is good in the anger. Now to start with the first of those, to start with resistance, I want to explore what happens with Cain. Why is he angry? And my answer is that I think Cain's anger is rooted in defending his idea of himself. His anger is rooted in defending his idea of himself. He is the older brother. He is the wealthy farmer. God's approval shouldn't be based on the offering he feels. It should be based on who he is, on his respectable life. Which means that Cain sees God's favor of Abel, the shepherd, as a mistake. He sees it as a mistake, and then he tries to control and even correct that mistake. He's defending his idea of himself as the best and then ultimately the only brother. In this act of, in Cain's mind, self-defense does two things in the text that are really important. First, right after he gets angry, what does the text say? It says he got angry and his face fell. Fell from where? Cain in his anger, stops looking up at God. That's where his face falls from. Other translations clarify this, saying that Cain's countenance turned. So the first consequence of his anger, the first consequence of our anger, can be that it turns him, it turns us away from God. Second, after Cain kills Abel, when God asks him about his brother, how does he reply? Well, famously, He says, am I my brother's keeper? And especially in an ancient text, this is this shocking and totally inappropriate sarcastic moment. And it indicates something really important, which is that Cain's anger has also turned him away from other people. Hear me, hear me. What is dangerous about our anger is its ability 
to turn us away from God and turn us away from each other. What is dangerous about our anger is its ability to turn us away from God and turn us away from each other. But what is good about anger in the story? Right, I promised that we'd talk about the good part too. Well, to see that, I think we need to look not at Cain's anger here, but we actually need to look at God's anger, which is being compared to Cain's anger. Now, God hears the cry of Abel's blood from the ground, and because his anger is rooted in advocating for justice in his creation, he does the exact opposite of what Cain has done. Instead of looking away, he looks at the offender, and he advocates at one and the same time for both accountability and also, surprisingly, embrace. Accountability and embrace. First, God allows Cain's choice to have a natural consequence. The ground, which is what Cain has offended with his brother's blood, is no longer going to be easy for Cain to work. It's going to be harder to farm. That's the logical consequence in a sense of what Cain has done by kind of poisoning the ground with his brother's blood. Additionally, Cain has broken fellowship with his parents. He's killed their son. And so with that relationship broken, he now has to leave their fellowship. But Cain is not banished here from his fellowship with God. I'll say that again because it's important. Cain He has the natural consequence of his work gets harder. He has the natural consequence of losing fellowship with his parents. But he is not banished from his fellowship with God. Instead, God goes with him away from the garden and promises to watch over and to protect him wherever he travels. And so if that's that's what we see here from God's perspective, from what God does, I think it's worth asking, what does that have to say about God's love as well as God's anger? I think there are a few conclusions we can draw from this story that are helpful. First, if we want to avoid what is dangerous in our own anger, we need to ask a few questions when our noses get hot. First, Are we too worried about defending ourselves? That's the first question we should ask when we're upset. Is this rooted in a need to defend ourselves, even more particularly to defend our ideas of ourselves? That's what Cain's anger does. And I think if we want to know if our anger is like Cain's anger, if it's it's moving us in the wrong direction, there's this sort of surprisingly simple and kind of terrifying way to know. And it's this, right? Is our anger, we can ask ourselves, is our anger leading us away from God to act on our own? Is our anger leading us away from people who we've come to see as our enemies? And I think if the answer to either of those questions is yes, yes, my anger is leading me away from God. My face is falling. It's leading me away from people. I'm asking, am I my brother's keeper? If that's our anger, we need to confess it and we need to let it go. But second, if we're angry about 
injustice, the question we need to ask ourselves is where is that anger leading us? What is it leading us to do? Does that anger lead us to call for changes? What changes can we call for? Does it lead us to wonder who we can stand beside in their suffering? Can we find a space where we are able, like God is here, to both seek accountability for perpetrators and also recognizing that we are imperfect ourselves and also extend forgiveness and even potential belonging to them? That's hard to do, but I think that's the, those are the choices that we have to make. Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves in our anger. I said earlier that anger isn't the problem in Scripture, that arrogance is. Anger isn't the problem. Arrogance is. And this is what I meant. Our anger is dangerous precisely when we assume it doesn't need to explain itself. Our anger is dangerous when it puts us above others. Our anger is dangerous when it breaks fellowship with God, breaks fellowship with our neighbors. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be angry. It doesn't even mean that some relationships we might find ourselves in aren't toxic or unjust, or that those relationships shouldn't be ended. They should. But it does mean that we are called to a kind of long-nosedness, which means if our nose is long, if we're slow to anger, that gives us time to ask questions of our anger. We can surrender our desire for vengeance and we can allow our anger to draw us closer, paradoxically to draw us closer to both God and to one another. That's the work anger can do. It can be angry at the quiet and the injustice and the silence that we see in the world. And it can lead us to draw closer to our faith and our hope and our trust in God and his vengeance and his justice and also to one another, the people alongside whom we can stand, with whom we can suffer. That's the good work anger can do. Now all that is unquestionably a tall order. In some ways, it doesn't even sound totally right to our sort of cultural mindset to, to forgive, to offer embrace to those who have offended. But guys, I got to tell you this. It is in keeping with the radical kind of love that God has shown us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it's the kind of love that we cannot, we cannot wriggle our way out of being called to extend and to share. It's what we're meant to be. It's what we're made for. I know that's a lot to, to ask for. Um, but I think it's what we're called here to do. It's what I'm called to do. I'll pray for us today and then we'll continue in worship. God, thank you for who you are. 
We love you and we trust you. And God, we pray that you will deliver us from arrogance, from self-centeredness, from an obsession with defending ourselves and even more perniciously, God, our ideas of ourselves. God, that I pray that we will be humbled. And God, I pray that when we feel anger, you will give us the long-nosedness, the wisdom to ask questions of that anger so we can discern with your wisdom and with your guidance, whether it is an anger to release, to let go of, one that is leading us into temptation, one that is leading us away from you, away from other people, the kind of anger or sin is there crouching at our door. That we can turn away from that anger, release that anger, but God, that we won't, as I often do, give up on anger altogether. That you will give us a spirit of anger even at injustice in the world around us. That that anger will lead us, will, will galvanize us towards action, towards the same kind of solidarity with the suffering that you have modeled for us. Show us the people, God. Open our eyes and show us the people we can stand beside, the causes that we can champion. Let our anger at the brokenness in our world lead us to you and lead us to others, to greater fellowship. God, we love you. We are grateful for your solidarity with us, for your commitment to us, even in our mistakes. We ask for your forgiveness. God, we pray that you will lead us as individuals, as a church. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.